You're listening to the Wise Wife Podcast. So you want a better marriage? Well, then buckle up, buttercup. You're in the right place. When we think about pride, I think a lot of us think of really boastful people. You know, people who are really full of themselves, they're egotistical. It's kind of our common definition of pride. But if you really study pride and people, you start to understand that pride can show up in many different ways, and some of them are pretty sneaky. And we're going to talk about that today. Areas where you might not think it's pride at the root, but it is, and it can be sabotaging your marriage. It can be sabotaging your life, actually. But today we're going to talk about it in the context of marriage. If you are praying and waiting on marriage restoration, it's really important to examine your heart and find out what could be holding you back. I really believe that God brings our miracle, our, our answer to prayer, when we are in the right place to receive that answer. Now, of course, hear me out. <laughs> doesn't mean that someone who doesn't receive their healing or fill in the blank didn't pray right or didn't act right. I'm not saying this from a legalistic standpoint. I'm saying that God often wants to deliver our answer when we are ready for it. I believe that God is a good father. He doesn't want to give his children something that would hurt them in the long run. We've seen this in the context of marriage restoration where a spouse comes back, but the standing spouse, the one who is fighting for the restoration, their heart wasn't ready. And it ends up backfiring on them. And that's what you don't want. Part of my stand for my marriage and fighting to see my husband come home after our separation, you know, I'm waiting for divorce papers to come through. I just knew it wasn't a punishment. It's not something that God was holding out on me. No, he was moving. He's working. I needed to make sure that I was doing what I needed to do to be ready. And, and wow, did I need to be ready because it gets pretty crazy when your miracle comes and your answer comes, you start to see that change in your spouse. There's just a lot more growth that comes after that and happens. You need to be prepared. You need to be armored up, prepped for the battle. So today, this is going to hopefully help some of you who are kind of feeling stuck and you don't quite know why you don't feel like you can move forward. And what we want to do today is let's rule out, is pride sabotaging your growth and your restoration I'm going to go through four signs that could indicate that you might be held back by pride. First one is you find yourself thinking thoughts like, I can't believe he, how could he do this to me? I would never do that. If you find yourself thinking those thoughts, you are absolutely bound up in pride. You are showing that you think you're better than your spouse and now let's be honest, on paper and in the world's view, you probably are better than your spouse. I mean, if you're listening, like most of my listeners are fighting to save their marriage with a spouse who wants either nothing to do with them or just is uninterested, or in the case of my situation, was like, get it through your head, I'm never coming back. But yet they feel that God has called them to stand for their marriage and to see their marriage healed and a spouse healed. So again, coming from the world's view, you look like the saint in the situation. You look like the one that is holier of the two of you. But if you read the Bible and you believe in the Bible and you know the Bible, then you and I both know that we are all sinners saved by grace. Romans 4.23, for all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus. It is only through Christ that you are made pure. So you do not want to be in that trap of thinking, how could my husband do this? I mean, if you don't know the answer to that question, I'm going to give it to you right now. It's called sin. It's been around since the beginning of time. Nothing is new. It's sin. That's how your spouse has fallen into this depravity. We have three enemies, our flesh, the fallen world that we live in, and Satan and his demonic forces. These are the true enemies. But when we think thoughts like, I can't believe he would fill in the blank, you're showing that you're fixated on your spouse who is a fallen sinner and clearly who is not walking with the Lord because if they were, they'd be walking alongside you. But instead of fixating on God's word, instead of fixating on the truth of who our enemy in this world is and fighting the right fight, instead of all those things, you're thinking these thoughts that are coming from a place of pride, that I am better than my spouse. I would never do the things they are doing. And the more you think those thoughts, the more you make these demonic agreements. And that's a whole other podcast. But We're going to touch on it just a little bit here. Listen, God is a good father and he doesn't reward disobedience. He doesn't reward us when we are acting like spoiled brats, because that's what it is. It's a spoiled brat thinking that way. Like God has given his only son to die a sacrificial death for you so that you can be made whole. You can maybe even avoid the traps of the enemy like your spouse is in right now. And instead of thanking him for that, and I don't mean thanking him with your rote words and prayers, I mean through your actions, through what is really coming out of your heart, through your thoughts, instead of thanking him with all of that and extending grace to other people, including your spouse, if you are sitting there thinking how much better you are than the person who's hurting you, it's a spoiled child. That's what that is. I have been there. I've so been there. And if you find you're guilty of that or any of the next points I'm going to go through, the good news is it's really simple to be free from that. It's, first of all, renouncing it, being absolutely repentant and not wanting that to be a part of you anymore. It's getting on your face before the Lord, repenting of this pride, renouncing it and commanding it in the name of Jesus to be gone from you. But ultimately, we are called to be merciful if we want mercy for ourselves. We look to Jesus for a model and he tells us in Matthew 5, 7, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. I mean, that's just pretty straight up clear. And so if you are thinking that you are better than your spouse because you would somehow never fall, you would never fall the way they've fallen, you're full of pride. You are bound up in pride. And that is not the mercy that Jesus is asking us to give. And so that's your sign that there is some serious heart work that needs to happen. Whenever I read that scripture in Matthew 5, 7, I always think back to my experience as a teenager volunteering with my family in a maximum security prison. (laughs) It's like one of the weird stories that I have of my life. For three years, we drove out to the middle of nowhere, and then we cleared security, went through all these steps, and we hosted a Christian church service in a maximum security prison every week. Crazy, but actually one of the best experiences I had as a teenager In the sense that, you know, there I am in the room full of convicted criminals, rapists, murderers, repeat offenders, all living life sentences, and yet they're there by choice in that room, in that church service, because they had come to a place where 
they were deeply repentant for what they had done. And you could tell when you spoke with them, when you watched them worship, you got to know them. It's like they were paying their dues, doing their time, you know, but they appreciated God's grace so much because they were not the same person who was first put in prison. And they knew they didn't deserve God's grace. It's clear they didn't. See, the truth is none of us deserve it. But when you're a castaway criminal like they were, who had actually done something that we all as a society believe is wrong, they couldn't escape the fact that they didn't deserve God's grace. And in some ways, they were more fortunate than those of us who live a sort of quiet life and end up in hell because we never really came to a place where we believed that we needed Jesus. What that experience taught me in watching those men and getting to know them is that if these guys serving a life sentence in prison could repent and and then be sort of similar to me and that we're both side by side worshiping and praising the Lord, man, like we're not that different. And as I was in those worship services, I realized that even as like a teenager, it's by God's grace that I'm the one leaving here today. And it's by God's grace that you are the one standing and fighting to save your marriage and family, that you're the one listening to this podcast because you care about saving your marriage. That's God's grace in your life. And it's the enemy who wants you to think, you know, that you're somehow good enough, that you have it in you to be the better person in your marriage, to be the holier person, to be the more Christian person. That's pride. It's going to keep you stuck. It's going to keep you very stagnant. So that's sign number one is that you feel and think those thoughts of how could he, I can't believe he would. The second sign that you might be held back by pride is you you think you have it all figured out. You don't feel that you can learn from many people, you reject any input, and you are not teachable. Now, I want to side note here that I am not talking about guarding your heart and mind, because when you are fighting to save a marriage, there are many people, including pastors and well-intended people, that you should be able to go to for wise advice who will give you poor advice. This is not about discernment, because there is a time to discern advice. I'm talking about where you deeply believe that you have it figured out and that the problem is not yours. You're unteachable. I was this way right before my marriage imploded. I wrote about it in my book. I was invited to a book club with a bunch of wives studying biblical marriage, and I scoffed and laughed and thought it was a total waste of time because I was above it, right? I was too good for it. I was 100% unteachable in those years. And of course, it doesn't take very far in Proverbs to see how flawed that was. Proverbs 1-7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Only fools despise wisdom and discipline. I certainly despised wisdom and discipline in those years. Proverbs 1-28, I will not answer when they cry for help. Even though they anxiously search for me, they will not find me. And that is what was happening in the years leading up to my implosion. I was completely rejecting knowledge, rejecting the Lord's knowledge, wasn't reading my Bible, wasn't seeking him, but then I would pray and beg him for help. <laughs> like I would cry out to him for help. I anxiously searched for him, like it says in Proverbs one twenty-eight, but I never found him because I wasn't actually going to the true source. I was just treating him like a genie in the bottle that should come and help me, even though I wasn't willing to do anything 
I wasn't willing to lay down my pride. I wasn't willing to admit that I might have some things that need to change. I was praying for my husband to change. So another sign of being unteachable is that when you pray for your marriage, your prayers are constantly targeted at your husband. You're praying for him to change. You're praying for him to grow. You're, look, all that's good. I pray for my husband every day, but you need to be praying for yourself. You need to be willing and humbly admitting that there could be some things in you that need to change. So that will show you that you are bound by pride if you are only praying for your husband to change because that shows that you're unteachable. The third sign that pride could be holding you back is you keep trying to convince everyone else that your husband is in the wrong. Now, this has like varying levels, right? There are some women I've met or talked to, you know, complete strangers that will just strike up conversations with me about their marriages who have no problem divulging all their husband's dirty laundry to a complete stranger. And I know that people say I'm easy to talk to, but there is a point where you should not be sharing those types of things with anyone, never mind a stranger. And so there's there's women who have no problem slandering their husband up and down because deep down they are looking for vindication and validation and coming from a place of hurt. And they are bound by pride because they want everyone to know that it's not their fault that their marriage is failing or has failed. It was their husband's fault. And everything is his fault. And we've seen these women in small groups. We see them coming to pastors for counseling. You know, you can you can package it all up and put a nice little good girl Christian bow on top. But at the end of the day, if you are trying to convince people, even your close friends, that your husband is always in the wrong, you're bound by pride. If you catch yourself daydreaming about one day being proven right, like one day my husband's going to have this massive revelation from the Lord. He's going to have a huge change of heart. He's going to get saved. He's going to repent of all his addictions and evil. Okay, all that's good. That's where you should stop. Like right there, that's where you should stop. That would be good. That would be a great prayer of believing and having faith that one day all those things are going to happen. Problem is that a lot of people keep going in their little daydream fantasy. And the next scene that happens is you being vindicated, right? You're being proven that you all along were such a trooper for, you know, putting up with all that. That's being bound by pride. If you're looking forward to the day where you can't wait for everyone to know that you were the one that was tolerating all of these nasty addictions and meanness and whatever else he's doing, you're bound by pride and nothing good is coming for you until you sort that out. That's the harsh truth. And you will not get out of the stuck place that you're in if you don't repent of that pride and, and really have your heart broken for how proud you've been, thinking that you're so much better than him and nothing is your fault. When Tim came back to me, he did not apologize. He didn't come back and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I've been a terrible husband. Will you forgive me? No, 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 none of that. I didn't hear those words. I didn't hear, I'm sorry. I didn't hear those words for seven years. And I want to tell you something, that when that day came and that moment happened, I was almost knocked off my chair. I was so surprised. Year over year, he was growing and changing. So I guess I shouldn't have been surprised that eventually God would move in him and prompt him to apologize. But the truth is, I didn't expect it because I didn't care. I hadn't cared for seven years. In my heart, I didn't need his apology. When we've truly forgiven someone, 
it's not based on them apologizing. And if you haven't read the book, Total Forgiveness, you really should. But in true and total forgiveness, it's not about needing the other person's involvement. Your forgiveness is not dependent on them. That's that's what total forgiveness means. So if they earn your forgiveness by apologizing, because that's what you were holding out for before you would forgive them, that's not really forgiveness. That's a transaction. So I didn't daydream about being proven right. I didn't even daydream about having an apology one day. I just forgave and moved on. I did not live in the past. I didn't hold it over him. I daily let go of that because there were some days where it was harder. There's some things that would trigger you. There's things that would happen that would make you like start thinking about it again. But if you have pride in your heart, you never let it go. You just can't. You can't. They're just connected. I didn't daydream about having vindication No, I daydreamed about the day that my marriage was going to be restored, that my family would be intact, and that I would get the opportunity to prove to Tim that I was a different person, that God had changed me by the way I acted, by the way I behaved. That's 1 Peter 3, 1 to 2. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husband, even those who refuse to accept the good news. Your godly lies will speak to them better than any words. They will be won over by watching your pure godly behavior. That's what I wanted. I wasn't worried about being vindicated or proven right. I had already admitted my part of the equation. I'd already recognized that we were both just sinners and we had given into sin in many different ways, in different measures, but still it was both of us. I wasn't looking for vindication. And so when Tim apologized to me seven years later, which by the way, was a very healing moment for both of us, don't get me wrong, I just wasn't expecting it. And I was shocked because I just didn't even think that it needed to happen. I'd really let it go. And so this is where I'm saying to you, if you're waiting for your marriage restoration and you think that your husband is going to be in a perfect position and this perfect repentant heart, when he comes back, you could be setting yourself up for a very difficult situation. And it could be another thing that God is waiting for you to sort through before he acts for you because you need to be ready for the next season, the next phase of marriage, which is loving someone who might not be very lovable. That's what it was in my case and in many cases of women who are going through that restoration process and like just letting them see the love of Christ in you. That's what 1 Peter 3.1 is saying. It's saying you can win your husband to the Lord just by how you act. Jesus didn't come to us and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this thing for you, but can you please say you're sorry first for all the things that you have done and are going to do and all the sin and the rejection of my father. Can you apologize for me first? Like Then I'll do this for you. No, he, he just did it. He did it while we were still sinners. He graciously offered himself up. And again, if we can't forgive, it's pride. If we can't forgive, it's pride. The fourth sign that pride could be holding you back is that you think God is punishing you or that he's holding out on you. If you are thinking things like, if I was a better Christian, maybe if I fasted more, if I'm maybe I'm not praying right, these things are showing a spirit of perfection, right? And self-judgment, which is rooted in pride. So it doesn't come across as boastful, because again, like I said earlier, we often think pride is just boastfulness. But the fact that you are striving for some some sort of perfection that doesn't exist shows that you are also bound by pride. Okay, let's unpack it. It's saying that you could somehow be better and that would earn God's action, which again is coming back to self-worship, self-sufficiency and pride. 
I want to bring up John 3.18. There is no judgment awaiting those who trust him. If you are under a spirit of perfection, you need to go study the word and study what the Bible says about your worth and your value that is rooted in Christ and has nothing to do with your works or how well you pray or how well you fast. Again, all those things are important. It's not to say they're not important. They are, but they are not the most important thing. And they should certainly not be your target that you're fixated on that would somehow get you action that you want. It's it's certainly not the goal because if you're fixated on those things instead of Christ and his finishing work on the cross and what you can do in your heart to respond to that, that's the most important thing. So we don't earn God's deliverance or earn the miracle. We get our heart in the right place and we're ready for that miracle. And on that note, I want to close with Matthew 6.21, wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. If your treasure is a restored marriage, then your heart and thoughts will give life to that. If your heart and thoughts are focused on nothing but your husband's sin, then that is your treasure. Your treasure is believing that you are better than him. If you find you're focused on the pain and the suffering, well, then that's your treasure. Your treasure is that you would rather feel like a victim than have a restored marriage. You'd rather feel like you are the martyr than have a restored marriage. So you have to ask yourself, where is my treasure? Because wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will be. And if you're really honest with yourself and you start tracking where your heart and thoughts are, it can be very convicting and it can shine a very bright light on what we are actually treasuring in our heart. And if we're treasuring anything other than Jesus and what he has done for us and the repentance and gratitude and thankfulness at what God has done for you, then you need a correction and pride and rebuking that pride and rejecting that pride is one really big way to get there. Like I said a little bit earlier, if any of these things have kind of resonated with you, it's about being repentant and renouncing those agreements, renouncing those thoughts, renouncing those belief systems and saying no more, no more. I don't want you dwelling here anymore. And in Jesus' name, I renounce all pride and I command you to leave me in Jesus' name. I'm excited to go into this in greater detail in future podcast episodes to really be free from these dark forces that we can sometimes open ourselves up to. But today, if pride is holding you back, put it down, lay it down rebuke it, reject it, and seek the Holy Spirit to fill you in those places where pride once lived. Thanks for tuning in to the Wise Wife Podcast. Go to wisewifeblueprint.com and download your free battle strategy. These are the five things you must do if you want to see breakthrough in your marriage. And remember, it takes two to save a marriage. You and Jesus. Jesus.